Hi, I'm DW Smith. I'll be here on Fly Fidelity today talking about my new album, Journey to Jotunheim, and I'll be talking alongside Natalie Van Dusen. Hi, I'm Natalie Van Dusen. I'm here on Fly Fidelity today talking about Norse mythology and the Viking past alongside DW Smith. Details just ahead. Do you love credible content, but, but, but hate how long you have to wait? And who wants super thick and frothy dumpster juice with rat corpses in it? There's a better way. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly. Fly. Fly Fidelity. Fidelity. Fly Fidelity Podcast. Fly Fidelity, baby. Fidelity, baby. Fidelity. With your host, Luke Bailey. Rapper and producer D.W. Smith's Journey to Jotunheim is his second and newest release in a trilogy using Norse mythology as a way of approaching modern day topics. On this episode, we're joined by D.W. Smith, an assistant professor of Scandinavian studies, Dr. Natalie Van Dusen. <laughs> Raised by wolves in a world full of lambs So I hunt for the sheep that supply and demand The snow falls, the air's cold, so you wrap it warm I thrive in storms and won't break at the crack of dawn I stay focused, I've always been the brokest I'm out here so every dream feels the reach is much closer I'm penning these bars that will send you to Mars You're never a star if you can't feel or let in the dark The sentiments last when these sentences spark My preferences charge when I'm head to head with the deadliest mark uh, Fuck the niceties, fuck the enemy Forget the relevance and fuck what they're telling you. Fuck the masses, walk alone in this world. I'm Dr. Natalie Van Dusen. Um, I'm a professor of Scandinavian studies at the University of Alberta, and my research specialization is medieval Icelandic literature. And I teach a course on Norse mythology pretty regularly, about every other year, as well as another course on the Vikings. Uh, I'm D.W. Smith. Um, I've been making music now, making hip hop, um, writing and recording for over 10 years. Um, really got into kind of Norse mythology and Viking Age culture about, about four years ago, I'd say. Um, I'd always kind of been interested just through things like, um, you know, like watching fantasy films like Lord of the Rings, um, where they've taken bits kind of, uh, or they're influenced by the culture. And um, I just read a book once in school um, uh, called Eric the Viking, which kind of subconsciously piqued my interest. But it was about four years ago, um, or five years ago, shall I say, when I started watching just a series, a history series called Vikings. Um, well, it isn't a history series. It is a series on the History Channel called Vikings. And uh, I just took a deep dive from there, really, and uh, just just became fascinated. Awesome, awesome. Now for yourself, DW, you recently released, of course, the third album in a trilogy exploring Norse mythology. To start this interview, could you take me through this album as a sequel and follow-up to Edda? What was the motivation behind this project? Yeah, so um, so Edda was the, the first project uh, that I put out, and that was written uh, pretty much right at the start of uh, when the pandemic happened and we went into a lockdown situation. There's a lot of things going on in the world um, that you were kind of just absorbing through your TV screen and, and through social media. Um, and um, there was a lot of people kind of putting out, you know, maybe statements on Facebook or even people putting out music um, talking about maybe COVID and, and things like this because um, they were influenced by it or affected by it, where um, I wanted to find a different way of, of putting my point of view forward. And like I said, I was like deep into kind of learning about kind of Norse mythology and, and Viking Age culture and stuff. So it just it just fit perfectly. And um, uh, I didn't think of, you know, making a, a second album after that. I thought that was it. It was just going to be a one off kind of project. And with the way that the world changed and, you know, when COVID looked like it was disappearing and things kind of felt like it was a little bit better. And then all of a sudden something else was on the horizon, maybe another lockdown or more horrible stuff that was happening in the world. It just felt like a, a good point to just kind of jump back into it and use 
Norse mythology as a as a way of telling the continuation of the story kind of thing. Um, so I decided to go down the route of um, uh, of Jotunheim. Um, so Jotuns in Norse mythology um, are kind of like the the adversaries of the gods. And, uh, you know, even the gods, even though them being gods, um, they still had to protect themselves and they're always there. They're always this imminent threat um, and stuff like that. So I just thought it'd be a, a good idea uh, to kind of use that as a way of uh, kind of discussing uh, what was going on in the world at that point, really. People fear all the unknown, but what they don't know is what they could know. More than what they do or what they should know. Ignorance is bliss, but it's good, no. Is it what they claim, what it suits, though? Where the proof is in the shadow, you can catch them in peripheral. Frost obscures your view, and the time frame is difficult. Shaffle up your senses, reality defenseless. Controlled by the people who are shameless and reckless. Population weak, fat and floppy on the sofa. No conspiracy, you're just a potential voter Another Facebook status poster Another airbrush selfie poser Another fucking woker We won't see the truth until it slaps us in the face So we're living in the dirt, trying to farm off toxic waste And my words bad taste, the real winter is coming Smell the death in the air when the war drummer is drumming It's constantly learning because, the, you know, you're just learning all the time And, and you're also um, kind of trying to figure out, you know, what is maybe considered... Um, fact compared to misconceptions and things like this as well so uh you know we've we uh, you, you kind of read something first of all and then you're like okay th this is cool and then you read something else you're like oh well what i've just read there doesn't really match up to what i'm reading now and you, you're trying to figure out yourself then um kind of where to take it and, and what is uh the, the truest version of this history and this mythology and 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 so on so uh, you're just kind of learning all the way through. Um, but I take kind of like um, bits of the stories that kind of resonate because um, I, I find that the whole kind of mythology and the stories that we do have, um, I've, I find them so relatable uh, and translatable to situations that are going going on now. Um, I just take certain stories and, and, okay, this fits this topic. Okay, let's kind of just use that as a way of so I don't, I don't kind of stick to it exactly but i kind of use it as a way of uh you know telling the story a little bit differently on the track yeah yeah that's interesting what about yourself natalie what's your take on this link we're talking about between norse mythology featured on these pro these projects and songs and the cultural context it's communicating with what's going on today well, I think it's really, really important for a lot of the reasons that DW outlined, and um, especially in the current context, I think after the Trump election in the States, a lot of people who had particular ideas and were evoking the Viking Age for um, for reasons having to do with race and, um, and you know, basically um, the far right, uh, they became quite a bit more vocal. So it has grown in importance the need to sort of um, address this issue that is happening and um, whether it is in, you know, whether whether it is in music, which I really enjoyed listening to this album and hearing how how you how you how you um, dealt with that um, within your lyrics as well Thank as you. within the classroom. Yeah, you're welcome. No, it was really I listened to it in front of my kids, which I probably shouldn't have done. But, you know, they're <laughs> no, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> they're old enough to know not to repeat some words. But uh, no, I really I really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, so it's, I think, in the current context where certain voices feel a lot more emboldened, um, and this, some of these uh, these views are a little bit more widespread, um, it's a really important thing to do. I was, uh, I was uh, we talked about this on the last podcast, but I was totally, because I'm so ignorant to all, all, all of that side of things uh, that you just talked about, Natalie, um, with, with the, um, the far right um kind of taking certain things from this culture and trying to appropriate it to you know their kind of views and stuff and i was totally ignorant to that when i went into this and uh i um i listened to a group called um wardruna and um uh, they make kind of like um what they consider as kind of maybe music maybe what the music sounded like at the time kind of thing like a modern take on that and i uh put one of my tracks from the first uh, project uh, into one of these Wardruna Facebook group kind of things. And um, I had my first kind of interactions with people who were blatantly racist and using um, using this culture as a way of kind of pushing their, 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 you know, their racist views and stuff. And I was, I was shocked. I was, and then I, obviously I went down the rabbit hole. Then I 
you know, went went onto Google and realised, you know, that it stems back to kind of Hitler saying that the Vikings were this this perfect race and all this type of um, you know rubbish that he used to spout, and it all came back, you know, went back to there, and I was like totally ignorant to all of that. Um, so it was an eye opener for me. Oh, that's something I absolutely I came into when I started teaching at the University of Alberta in 2012. I came into this also, you know, like I knew that of course historically this um, the Viking past had been uh, had been used, you know, um, dating back to um, dating back to the Nazis, and that the you know this idealization of who the Scandinavians were in the Viking Age. But I was really, I think, a little bit naive when I began teaching to um, the, you know, the extent to which that might actually affect the classroom and realized through a student handing in a paper that reflected some of these ideologies that this is something I need to get out ahead of. Um, and so ever since then, I've really been trying, trying to do that. It's interesting, you've really been vocal about the misappropriation of Norse mythology throughout your career by racist extremists that we're talking about. It's something you've almost made a life mission to talk about and actively show that ideologies promoted by these movements are not consistent with historical evidence. What do you think are the biggest misconceptions people have of Viking culture? I think some of the biggest misconceptions have to do with you know, who lived in the Scandinavian homeland during the Viking age. And the idea also that Viking is a culture, an ethnicity. Viking was very much an occupation. It was something that freeborn men could do and that they did part-time. So that's kind of, a, I feel like a lot of the misconceptions about, um, that that are that fuel a lot of this narrative come from that idea that the Vikings were an ethnicity, that, that everyone who lived in Scandinavia at this time was, was a Viking, whereas... Viking was very much, it's like, you know, to change it out for pirate or something like that, that sort of works. And then also that, you know, it was only Scandinavians who are of Germanic, um, kind of a Germanic descent who lived in Scandinavia during the Viking age. And that it was this monoculture that didn't interact or intermix with neighboring cultures and the various ones that they encountered during the Viking age. So I think that, you know, I, I feel like that that very premise that Viking is is a people, is an ethnicity, and is this pure white um, group or something like that is sort of the root of a lot of these misconceptions. What about yourself, D.W. Smith? Do you have any thoughts and feelings to add on to that? Pretty much the same, to be honest with you. Um, uh, a lot of people talk um, <clears throat> in a lot of the groups that I'm still kind of in uh, on Facebook, and they talk as if Viking is... A, um, a race um, or even a culture um, and like Natalie said you know it was more of a part-time job it was what you did if you went uh, reading or trading in the summer um, and of course uh, with, with the Vikings being known or the Norse being known for their really amazing kind of shipbuilding their traveling and so on it just doesn't make any sense to say that they were just this insular people that didn't interact with uh you know other cultures and embrace other cultures which we know that they did when they went out all around the world and uh, you know kind of worked for different people and, and in different places and uh assimilated themselves into different cultures and so on and the, the findings the you know that are found in different places as well you know items that are found from all across the world so yeah to me it just it was an eye-opener it really was and um uh like i said i went into it really really ignorantly but it was uh it, it was um it was a learning curve definitely young men came from hunting faint and weary young men came from hunting Believe me, it don't fit your rights. I'm bringing it down because the seat is how you reach your heights. Yeah, yeah, we just want the truth. But all the claims that you make me yours is the burden of proof. I'm too long in the tooth to deal with all of these goofs. I'm setting the mood, and trust me, dude, I'm far better than you. This ain't frag raps from Baghdad. Now scratch that, it's anthrax from Asgard. I backslap, and trust me, my hands large. Attack hard, my hit points are potent. I stomp on your city, I'm the size of a Jotun. These dicks can't touch me when they're scratching their scrotum. My rock harder with flows magma, my karma is molten You want fame, but now nah, fame just don't fit you I make a crowd move, you're one fan standing in situ I make music in 4D to jump out and hit you You're yapping and barking, of course that's what a bitch do Young men came from hunting 
can you tell people about the gaps in what we know about Norse mythology and specifically the gap, which is women's stories being talked about and celebrated? Oh, okay. Um, so there's a lot of issues with interpreting and looking at um, Norse mythology specifically and material about the Viking Age, which is from specifically from 793 to 1066. The issue was that Christianity came so late to the Scandinavian countries, and it wasn't until Christianity came, which was around the year 1000, give or take, that they could actually begin to write down these various myths and sagas and poems and things that have been circulated orally. Um, so we're oftentimes viewing Norse mythology and stories about the Vikings through this filter of about two to 300 years of oral transmission. So there's that issue kind of in general when we're looking at the sources and pair that with the fact that, you know, what we have that has come down to us in terms of manuscript evidence is simply a fraction of what once existed. And we know based on references within text that all of these things are missing. Um, there's references to, to like a poem called Heimdall's Chant, which probably told us a whole lot of things about the god Heimdall that we don't know now because we've lost that and he's kind of left this god as sort of a shadowy figure. Um, but it's the same with um, with uh, information about women. And a lot of the texts weren't necessarily concerned with, um, always concerned with the histories of, um, of women in the Viking age. And if they were, they were specific, usually more upper class women um, who were kind of part of the you know aristocracy, queens and um, members of important families and things like that. So we get, we get information insofar as it's important to tell about, say, like a family lineage or something like that. Um, but there's a lot that we have to kind of infer from um, kind of reading between the lines or trying to figure out, um, based on comparisons between texts, what might be missing. Mm -hmm. And of course, you've celebrated um, women in Viking culture with the likes of Freya in your music, haven't you, DW? Um, well, I'm I'm writing a lot more. I mean, the first two um, albums, I've, the, the, uh, there's a couple of tracks on there that are um, kind of dedicated dedicated to um, kind of the gods, as it were. Um, so I use Odin, for instance, uh, as a way of talking about kind of like uh, wisdom and stuff like this. But uh, recently, I'm kind of looking more into uh you know the, the, again the, the history the culture and so on and um when i start writing or have started writing the third album i want to approach that aspect um in a bit more depth as i can because um you know when you first kind of get into it um and you start kind of googling stuff your your first as, as somebody who doesn't know anything about it you you start looking at certain things that you you think that you should be reading and um right. one of them is is the prose edda um so i managed to get through that book um and i've read it a couple of times now and then you kind of realize after a certain amount of time that it's not just the fact that it was written by a, a you know a guy who's christian but it was also written by a guy who had certain views on the world. So, you know, um, the more you read about him, for instance, Snorri Snorrison, yeah. uh, the more you read about him, you kind of figure out that, okay, he was a brilliant writer, but he was probably quite misogynistic and mm. he's probably left out quite a lot um, uh, on purpose, maybe. Um, so you don't really kind of get um, an idea on um, somebody like Freya, for instance, um, you don't really get an idea on exactly how that god was uh, perceived by um, the Norse culture at the time, um, because uh, everyone knows about Valhalla and Odin taking the dead to Valhalla, but nobody knows that Freya took half the dead uh, to her own hall. And um, she must have been maybe venerated equally, maybe, who knows? Um, uh, in the culture at the time, maybe Natalie, you can say more on that. But um, there's a lot that's that's just not there, so it's quite hard uh, to figure out mm. things when it comes to gods like her. When there's a a lot more um, when it comes to somebody like Odin, for instance. Would you say the lines were blurred, Natalie, with what we know? I, I would think so. I, I would. I think you could absolutely say that. And I, I, it's hard to know how much is missing and what was missing. And you know, it all comes down to what these certain authors, like Snorri, 
thought was worth recording. Um, and so we don't actually know how reflective of, you know, the, the you know, veneration of different gods and goddesses in the past was. But I completely agree this idea that Freya took half of the, the, the chosen slain to her hall in Folkvanger. And she's kind of almost, you know, in some ways as complex of a deity as Odin is. And there's ideas that, you know, maybe Freya and Frigg are actually the same and different names for the same, for the same figure. And there's just so much that wasn't passed down about her, um, whether it's in the poetry or in the prose edda, which is um, kind of a little bit more of a kind of a complete source in terms of telling it uh, the story of the Viking, or, or sorry, of Norse mythology um, from creation to destruction, whereas the poetic Edda is a little bit more kind of, you get some poems that are, you know, seem to presuppose knowledge of um, kind of the background, whereas Snorri's gives kind of a fuller picture, but um, but still it really does not, um, it does not give us as complex of a picture of some of the, of the goddesses as right. we get, of especially a god like Odin which I think is is really too bad because um, it seems like there's, you know, as much importance and complexity to someone like Freya as there is Odin. Absolutely. I read there was a goddess who was the doctor of the gods. Can you talk about that for a second? Um, they made, you made Eden. Uh, there was a, there's again, not a lot known about her, but um, there was a goddess uh, called Eden who would give the gods a um, kind of, golden apples that prolong their life kind of thing. Some of these gods actually do die in Norse mythology. Um, so yeah, you might be on about her maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so she, yeah, she is the apples of immortality. I mean, the goddess's main role in a lot of the mythology is often that the giants want to marry them. And then that's a direct yeah. threat from the giants or the, or the Yifnar to the Aesir, the, the gods, is if this group that is, you know, considered to be inferior to them is trying to take their women, that's a threat to the social order of things. So yeah. oftentimes, you know, it's the, the worst things for the gods is when, say, like, Idun gets captured and they start to grow old and gray, or Loki promises that if um, a giant can finish this wall around Asgard in time, that he can have Freya. And um, that's oftentimes one of the most critical roles that the goddesses play is by being um, almost, you know, taken by by the giants in marriage. And we also have, of course, the story of Thor and his hammer, where Thor's hammer gets stolen, and um, Freya um, he wants to marry the the giant Thrym wants to marry Freya in order to get it back, and then that's the one where Thor dresses up as a bride and all of that. So really a lot of the, a lot of the myths at, at, around the goddesses really surround that kind of threat and really reflect that general um, relationship between these, these two groups, the gods on the one hand, and then the, what, are, what are translated as the giants, but are more kind of just another kind of tribe or group that um, was an antagonistic group in, um, in Norse mythology. There's a lot to be said about this space and and relevance Ragnarok occupies right now in this moment, isn't there? With this, you know, narrative and dialogue people are having around impending doom. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's um, what I kind of focused the the first project on, uh, especially because of obviously when it was written, um, you know, you had this 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 pandemic that, and, and obviously everyone was really scared and worried and you'd have things going on as well um at the time so um it that was that was a big thing for me using using the the, the story of Ragnarok um you know we all think we all think sometimes the stages of our life that you know we're young and we we can live forever and I, I do really love the the idea that the gods in in this mythology are all going to die you know they they're not this these the these everlasting beings that are going to be around for eternity they you know odin specifically knows when you know he's going to die and he's trying to you know he's trying to gain knowledge to try and prevent that from happening in a sense and uh um yeah i find it really interesting is uh yeah yeah perfect for you know perfect for melding in uh you know t- to tell a story about you know covid and everything that was going on at the time really it worked really well
came to party, let this motherfucker burn Raise your drinks to planet Earth, because we hear she's had a turn If it's the end, my friends, we gon' party to oblivion The one chance of existing was like one in a trillion We fucked it up and made religion, filled it up with greed Power hungry and jealousy, destroying to succeed So here we are at the end of the world, let's raise a toast We gave it our best shot, let humans become ghosts Let the false gods die, let the universe thrive It's the last night alive, then I'm living it alive It's been one hell of a ride from mad love to genocide But it's time to say goodbye and fuck you parasites Let the hatred die, yeah this really is the end So fill up another cup, we're gonna party to the end Stay with loved ones or friends, make love or get wrecked Make your peace, settle debt, shake hands and meet death If God saw me, the world's serpent will come lunging from the ocean Dragging the tides in and flooding the world The wolf, giant your relationship with the story of Ragnarok, Natalie? Oh, Ragnarok is, I think it's, it's one of my kind of, I mean, it's one of the favorite parts of the mythology, not because I like, you know, the idea of like apocalypse, but just because I think it's a really interesting, it's really interesting how they go about um, talking about what brings about the end of the world. And, you know, it all kind of starts with um, the killing of Balder by his brother. And so there's this like symbolism of, you know, breakdown within, you know, tradition within families of brother killing brother. And, of you know, the whole thing starts with kind of collapse within society of, you know, people behaving in all kinds of ways that are um, against um, kind of social codes. And then, um, you know, the various things that happen after that um, from all of these different signs of, you know, the hellhound howling and um, the rainbow bridge being burned and everything to, you know, the giants headed by Loki advancing on Asgard with a ship made of nails. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's really like, it's it's beautifully described in this poem, The Cirrus's Prophecy. And um, we get some descriptions in some other poems as well. But, you know, we have this interesting, like, cycle between order and chaos that's at the heart of all Norse mythology. And I think, you know, you think about the geography of the place where these myths were eventually written down, which is Iceland in the, you know, the 13th century. And there's always volcanoes erupting in Iceland, like always. Um, we remember, like, you know, Eyjafjallajökull and you know, different volcanoes that have, like, disrupted air travel. But mm. you think about how much some of this would actually, you know, reflect very immediate dangers for people who were living at the time of, you know, the world is consumed by fire. And if you're living around volcanoes, but there's also, I mean, here we have all kinds of forest fires and things like that. And with COVID, there's so much that people resonate with, I think, within this narrative of kind of, um, you know, in a way that makes this, um, I think, a really interesting thing to teach right now. I mean, there's not so much about plague, I guess, but, you know, this whole idea of um, of, of this, this imminent threat that's going to wipe everything out and then followed by a rebirth of some kind is something I think that especially right now is um, it, you, you relate to in a different way than we did pre-COVID. Right, right. So let me ask you this. Is there a moment in the entirety of Norse mythology that kind of led you and motivated you to want to teach people, to want to educate people how you are now and as much as you are now? Well, I guess, um, yeah, like, I don't know. So my own specialization is a little bit more kind of a different genre of literature. And I started teaching Norse mythology because I find it really interesting. And it was a course that was already sort of on the books when I came here, but I really, I think I, I fell in love with teaching it when I, when I started teaching, especially the poetic era. And I think that people don't often, that's often underrated because it's difficult to read. It's in translation and it's poetry, but um, I know at DW that you did Lokasena, Loki's Quarrel. I think that's yeah. maybe one my very favorite of all of the, of the myths where Loki comes in, he wasn't invited to a feast and he's mad about it and he storms in and he calls out each and every one of the gods and goddesses and insults them all in turn um, for various things that they've done. Usually for the goddesses, like their crime was having slept with Loki himself. So he like, uh, that's somehow like a shameful act. And then the goddess, the gods, it's usually somehow being a coward or something like that, or, you know, participating in witchcraft rituals. But um, it's just so fascinating. And it, and it kind of gives this insight into um, things that were considered taboo at the time. 
Um, I also really like the sayings of the high one, which is attributed to Odin. And it really lends a lot of insight into kind of basic social values about how to live your life. Um, you know, a lot of like a lot of living in moderation and how to receive guests and be a good host. Yeah. Um, there's some things that aren't as, as nice usually in terms of how uh, related to women, but um, mm. yeah, there's just some really great stuff in there and um, the heroic poetry as well. It's all just, I, I really, really enjoyed my research doesn't focus on this as much, but I enjoy teaching it so much. And I feel like I learn something different every time. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's the learning um, aspect for me um, because I, I've come into this completely, completely blind. And um, every time I read something else or watch a, another documentary and, and so on, I'm just learning more and more and more. And, and you know, if, if if we can all do that in life in general, not 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 just have, you know, the direct like answer. I know this. This is this is actually fact. Well, maybe maybe it's not. Maybe if you just open your mind and kind of learn, or you know, kind of like read into other things, you can you can kind of learn more. And this is this is something that Norse mythology and and Viking Age culture has uh, has done for me. Um, speaking of Loki, I, um, I I don't know if either of you have heard of the author or read any of her books, but there's a, a book called The Gospel of Loki by um, Joan Harris, and she tells the um, the whole story from Loki's point of view. So you get you get Loki Center from Loki's point of view as well. And I just uh, you know the fact that people are, are are rewriting these stories as well. This is how relevant they are. You know they're being rewritten now from different um, kind of aspects and stuff. I just find that just really really fascinating. And that's the thing that kind of like okay, so if I can do like a little bit of that through music, if I can if I can, and again we we, we were talking about hip hop um, in the last podcast and. The, the fact that I am, you know, I'm a white dude making hip hop. And instead of me just taking from this culture, if I can just maybe give something back to the hip hop culture, you know, maybe just by injecting a little bit of like, you know, what I'm learning, my, my little my little path through learning Norse mythology and, you, you know, this this history, um, I just think, you know, that's that's the thing that drives me. You know, Absolutely. And there is, like you say, there is a direct correlation between hip hop culturally and Norse mythology with this history of appropriation we're talking about. You mentioned Odin, Natalie, and you've mentioned, of course, um, Locus Senna, two tracks of which D.W. Smith has songs about. Can you speak to those songs specifically in making those tracks? So Odin, um, I'm I'm fascinated with the story of, of, of almost kind of knowing, knowing your fate and then trying to prevent it, but also kind of the whole, like, trying to gain as much wisdom as knowledge and, and knowledge as, as you can. Um, he's, uh, he's kind of got like two ravens that he sends around the world that bring him back information and, you know, this whole like gaining as much knowledge as possible for whatever the reason is. Um, I just, I just kind of like that. Um, I just kind of like that, that, that thing. And um, so that's what kind of attracts me to the whole like idea of Odin, although um, I also kind of like the fact that he's he's not the nicest of people. You know, these gods, another reason why I love this kind of uh, mythology, you get it in other um, mythologies, of course, but these gods aren't, you know, all loving, all, you know, amazing things like you would see in like maybe Christianity and Islam. They're, you know, they're, they're, some of them are dicks, <laughs> you know, they're like, <laughs> and um, I, I really love that about uh, Odin as well. And um, yeah, you, you know, like, um, uh, reading, well, listening to the Havamal, um, and and listening to, you know, these things, these kind of sets of guides or rules that potentially Odin setting out, and some of them are like, okay, yeah, 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 I get, I get that, and some of them are like, and I'm not sure if I'm going to go down that route, dude. Um, but I just find that really, really interesting, and that's the, you know, one of the reasons why I decided to kind of make a track based on some of the things that, you know, that I've learned about this character. Uh, and then, yeah, Locusena, um, again, it's it's one of my my favourites, and um, it, it all kind of connects to, um, you know, kind of like this. I, I know it kind of makes it very trivia, but the 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 battle rap aspects that is very similar to the style of locusena or this Scottish word that was used flighting, um, you, you know, where these, um, you know, these peoples at the time would 
flight each other. They would battle rap each other, you know. And I just, I just loved that. I loved that the fact that there's like this little like kind of connection that you could you could make to hip hop and something that's like massive in hip hop, you know, battle rapping. And there's this thing that's kind of like, oh, okay, I'm learning about all this like Norse mythology um, stuff and Viking Age stuff. And there's this there's this flighting thing that looks really much like you know looks a lot like battle rap. This is this is crazy. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah, that, so I had to, you know, I had to kind of put that into a track at that point, really. So cool, so cool. Are you able to speak to that concept flight in itself, Natalie, in your account of what happened? Yeah, I mean, yeah, flighting is, uh, it's it's basically, it's, I mean, I actually have used like rap battle as, uh, as an example of trying to explain that, like especially the insult portion of it. Um, and that's a really common thing within um, Norse mythology and some of the heroic poetry that is kind of related tangentially to um, Norse mythology and some other old Norse literature, this idea of trading insults back and forth. Um, and, you know, you think about the fact that these poems were intended to be performed. Um, and so people would have heard them. Um, they were orally composed, they were orally transmitted. And um, so in, in some ways, you know, they you can see a lot of overlap, I think. And it's a really apt comparison um, to to look at flighting and um, what you see in Lokasena, as well as some other some other poems um, that are related um, to to hip hop um, today and rap battles specifically. Is it um, there's a poem and I can't remember which I don't know if it's the poet poetic editor where uh, Odin pretends he's like an, um, kind of a guy by a river um, and Thor's on the other side yeah. and they both yeah. <laughs> they, they both start kind of like ripping each other and it is it's like a rap battle and it's like you know it's it's Odin and Thor but Thor initially doesn't realize that or doesn't know that it's Odin and they just they're just standing across a river just yeah rap battling each other yeah. It's, it's crazy. yeah that one's that one's called Halvard's or Halvard's poem and it's funny too it, it has this added element of humor because Thor is not at all into an, an intellectual match for Odin yeah. Yeah. and so for them to be bantering back and forth this would have been very comedic I think for for an audience to see I mean Thor doesn't even recognize that the fairy man is his own dad in disguise <laughs> um and so they're trading these insults back and forth and um that's another one that's it's really really funny it's flighting but it has that added element of like one of one of these two is really not up to the task here um of being able to banter in words and I, lo I love the fact that there is there is this humor you know throughout uh, like th there must have been some humor you, you mentioned it earlier natalie um uh with thor dressing up as as a bride to go and get his hammer back kind of thing there must have been some kind of humor involved in in that as well um this big manly man kind of thing you know and they're, they're dressing him up and putting like all rings on his fingers and he goes there and then starts like eating like an absolute pig at the table and, then, <laughs> and the person who wants the, you know this this giant that wants to marry him's like oh you know like does does freya normally eat like this and and loki's with him and and loki's <laughs> loki's kind of like oh no no he's you know she's been holding herself off for so long she's ravenous and all this type of stuff and then he ends up with kind of thor standing up and killing all the uh, all the ogres or giants or whatever they were at the time. But there must have been some kind of humor in that as well. And I like I just love the fact that there are these like like bursts of humor throughout this like uh, throughout this mythology really. It's uh, it's good to see because you don't really see that in uh, in a lot of other stuff. Watching those dank dreams drift, so I will feed these scripts with the thirst that split seems from bat neck to grits. How am I supposed to give two shits when you come like you fire, but you run like you die? No spits, no inks, no licks, just inks. You the done fucking dada. No, no, you never fuck when it's true. Or your gas done flabber. Jibber jabber on the mic, best belief on this fatter. Mischievous manner, I throw double down. Men from boys gets the sorting. I slap your man for not. I told the style you sporting I walked a mile and then some who's talking Cut that noise, get to walking Before you step in the presence of guards Mr. Smith, pop up and torch them Pirates large, send them all to the halls And let my seeds charge As the known foretold, we your end Stand, behold 
challenges that come with the task of writing songs about Norse mythology and modernising a narrative in a way that's both accessible and relatable to audiences? My, uh, I mean, my main challenge is the fact that I, and I, I'm not saying anybody does, but I just don't know enough. I don't, you know, every time, you know, I'm, I'm writing something, I'm also having to kind of almost learn on the go, as it were, because you'll have something that you know, like I can't, I, I just can't keep it all in my, like I've read a couple of the books and listened to audio books and watched documentaries and I watched them three, four times and read them three, four times, but not everything kind of sticks. And then, like I said earlier, you know, it, it doesn't even matter in a sense that it sticks or not, because then you read something else or you watch something else and then you're like, oh, what I learned about earlier, well, that isn't exactly correct. You know, I've got to add this onto it as well. And maybe that bit's not not right and maybe i should just you know maybe not include that bit kind of thing and uh so it's, it's kind of the learning on the go more than being able to i find um you know kind of using it and trans you know kind of translating it into music and and marrying it up with you know current times and issues and so on i find that a bit easy it's uh it's it's the i don't want to kind of I, i'm going to get things wrong and that's fine, but I don't want to get it like totally wrong. You know, I don't want to like mess it up completely and put a track out and look at it in three years time or five years time and, and just be like, ah, shouldn't, shouldn't have written that really because I know so much more now than what I did back then. And that's totally wrong kind of thing. So it's kind of like making sure that that's why, that's why I don't stick. That's why I keep it kind of fluid really. That's why I don't stick to it exactly. And um, and try and make it a history lesson because I'm not a historian, you know, I'm just, I'm learning this stuff as I go along and I'm so influenced and so, you know, I'm so so um, excited by it when I read or watch stuff. Um, it, it gives me that kind of spark where I'm like, okay, yeah, I could take this story because that's relevant to what's going on right now. Um, but yeah, I, like, I've just got to make sure that I'm just keeping it as fluid as possible, really. Well, speaking of history lessons, do you ever suffer, or should I say struggle, from the same kind of challenges uh, with your teachings, Natalie, and what you're doing in school? Yeah, I mean, there's always, I think one of the things about that, one of the only constants that I've found is um, that, you know, the more the more you learn, the less you realize you don't know, or the more you realize you don't know, rather. Right. So the more things you learn, the more you realize that you actually don't know that there's so much that you don't know out there. Um, and so that's, you know, that's a struggle that I've had with teaching too, is that there's always going to be gaps in, in the knowledge and there's still going to be things that I, that I don't know necessarily as I'm teaching. Um, but it's kind of what makes it exciting. And I'm sort of always sort of revamping how I'm doing, how I'm doing courses on this um, and rethinking it. And um, it's really interesting for me to learn as well when the students come, what their own, um, kind of pathways towards Norse mythology in the Viking Age were, or whether it's literature, or gaming, gaming's a big one, or music, yeah. um, or or anything like that, or if they you know watched the, the Viking series. Um, so there's there's always things I'm learning about whether it's you know the history itself, or um, I think really importantly Viking revival and the various ways that Norse mythology and the Viking Age are being reimagined today um, in ways that are very productive and also ways that are really harmful. In terms of tradition, one of the great things that mythologies do is hold a mirror to the discourse of the human condition and what it means to be human. What has Viking culture done for you and yourselves as humans? Wow, um, that's a good question, man. <laughs> um, yeah, um, for me, I mean, obviously it's opened up another way of telling stories for me um but it's all it's also um kind of opened my eyes to misconceptions of things in general um um and and the fact that you know sometimes we will listen to uh, an archaeologist or a scientist and sometimes we'll say okay that, that's an archaeologist that's a scientist you know that's that's that, that's it that's fact um so recently I'm, I'm reading about the um, the finding Bjorka, um, I think I pronounced that okay, and um, mm. the, the fact for a hundred years 
we just assumed that this this uh, th this body that was found in this elaborate kind of burial chamber um, by what potentially would have been the fort or the fortified area at the time was a man. You know that that, that you know that that was it. You know, Viking warrior, mm -hmm. and then through DNA um, studies, we um, found out that it wasn't a man. <laughs> you know, it was a female, and the automatic response from archaeology or for most a big portion of archaeology was you must have got the dna findings wrong not my my automatic response was whoa that's mad amazing <laughs> this is cool mm -hmm. that that you know in in academia that was the response kind of thing and it's it kind of you know this is all part of this um history and mythology and stuff like this and the fact that even archaeological finds are so relevant to the conversations that we're having today um, and this is, you know, this is just, you know, my little portion of looking in at the 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 Norse, you know, the Norse world, the Viking Age, and and stuff like this, and the fact that we're talking about that situation as well. I just think these things are, you know, they just open up the conversation. And um, if 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 learning about uh, Norse mythology and Viking Age culture, uh, you know, opens up that conversation in that way as well, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, the more the more I learn and the more I teach about about the Viking Age and about Norse mythology, um, the more I learned about how increasingly relevant it is to we do today. I mean, there's this idea about like why on earth is it important to talk about Norse mythology or the Viking Age in 2022? I mean, we're talking about something that was a thousand years ago now, and what possible relevance could it have? But there's so much importance, um, you, know, uh, you know, to the material and to understanding it in a way that you're looking at it critically and understanding it and understanding what the sources are and what we do know and um, so that you could really um, interpret some of the ongoing conversations related to it today. That is one of the things I think I've learned the most is of the actual importance of doing this work and of um, really advocating for why the study of history generally is important. Um, because of um, kind of modern relevance of the topic. And that's absolutely the case with this. You mentioned TV earlier, Natalie. Why is it you think that there's such an appetite for the Vikings at the moment in popular culture with games, films and TV? I actually, I really don't know. Um, I think there's something that's, you know, I, I kind of always sort of theorize that there's something maybe grittier about Norse mythology, more immediate. I mean, the Viking Age and Norse mythology like represents kind of one of the last pagan holdouts in in Europe. It, these were the last groups to be Christianized. I don't know if it's that you know this is a much more immediate link to a pagan past or of a of, of a past where people believed um, in different in different deities and had re different religious worldviews than um, than are in place now. Um, but there's something about about it as well that. Um, it's just, I think BW mentioned this as well, like the gods are like, they're not always great. They're not these mm. all power, they're not all powerful. They're not necessarily immortal. They're not always great individuals. They don't always behave well. Um, and there's something about them that's accessible, I think. Um, and really just very interesting. Um, and, you know, you have a lot of, you know, very, I think, relatable themes that are at the core of Norse mythology, this cycle between order and chaos of trying to keep, you know, the forces of chaos at bay that are represented by the giants. Um, I think that there's just so much that is, you know, that, that translates um, to our world, as we talked about a little bit with regard to Ragnarok. Do you have any thoughts on the accuracy in shows such as Loki and, of course, those other Marvel films? What's your thoughts on the accuracy in those shows and films by Marvel? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so I... I uh, really am a big Marvel fan. Like uh, we're, we're in my household, like we are, we're huge Marvel fans. Um, and I, you know, obviously there's, you know, they kind of reimagine Asgard as it almost looks like ancient Greece. And, you know, there's some things that are obviously not super in line with yeah. the sources we do have available, but um, I really like how they play with some things that we do see in the mythology, like the relationship between Thor and Loki, who aren't actually brothers in the mythology. Um, Loki is not a god. He's among the gods. He's actually a giant background himself. But 
he and Thor are always kind of paired up um, in, in the mythology and they're always the ones who kind of go on adventures together and they have a similar dynamic and Marvel. And I like how they kind of interpret that and, and run with, run with um, the relationship between those two figures in the mythology. Um, I think it's really, and they really do a good job with, you know, who Loki is as a trickster figure and as someone who's incredibly, you know, charismatic and um, intelligent but, you know, fundamentally just like, you know, uh, like a representative of chaos himself um, and who just can't help himself with causing problems um, that for for the um, for the Aesir. So I really like it a lot. And I mean, I think that Thor, you know, in mythology, not it, it, I think that how he's portrayed in Marvel is, is is kind of, I think, pretty apt in terms of the personality and you kind of have the brawn and brains and I do like how they, how they kind of do that with, um, with Marvel. They strike the right balance of nonfiction and fiction. I, I think so. And I mean, there was something that was clearly, you know, really um, appealing to that kind of odd couple, you know, buddy duo in the middle ages and still is today of mm. having those two paired together. There's, a, there's something humorous about their, uh, about pairing those two together and having them embark on adventures together and um, play off of one another. So I think it's, it kind of is interesting to see that, you know, that resonates just as well today as it did, as it did then. Well, speaking of pairing things together, D.W. Smith has, of course, sampled songs from Loki. What's your relationship with the show? Uh, well, with the show itself, yeah, um, I love it. I think Loki is one of my favourite characters in Norse mythology, anyway. Um, and yeah, I agree with Natalie. I think they've done they've done a good job with kind of taking the, some of the aspects of um, the character from mythology and and putting it into these comics and films. Um, uh, and I, and I do, yeah, I do, I do, I do like the fact that you know they Thor Loki. Even Odin in in the movies, I can see you know there's there's a lot of like uh, they've they've taken a lot of stuff and then they just made it their own. You know they've made it accessible for you know films and mm. TV programs and so on. Um, but yeah, I love I love the fact that they've kept him as the, this kind of trickster. He he causes as many problems as he solves problems and and things like this, <laughs> which is kind of yeah what you get from the mythology anyway. So yeah, I, I like him, man. I suppose I'll need my brother back. Oh, yeah, right. I have been falling for 30 minutes! Surprise! I am Loki of Asgard, and I am burdened with glorious purpose. I am a god, you dull creature, and I will not be bullied by... Puny God. You picked up the Tesseract, breaking reality. I want you to help us fix it. I need your unique Loki perspective. Glorious. And you guys must have completely opposite thoughts on the Vikings TV show. Um, I haven't. I, I don't. I, I could let DW take this one. I haven't watched it, and it's oh. hard. No, it is. It's actually. I mean, it's not at all because of any like snobbery or like thinking that there's inaccuracies. I think, and I, I've tried it a couple times, and I think I simply can't get into it because I'm too like immersed in this world of <laughs> medieval Scandinavia and my research and teaching that my uh -huh. pop culture needs to escape needs to be a little bit further away from that. So <laughs> I, I have no like really real thoughts on the show. I've heard excellent things um, about it though. Uh, I, I, I like it. Yeah. Um, Michael Hurst, the, uh, the guy who wrote um, and I think directed most of the episodes um he says that he wanted to tell a story that was in the vein of the way, um, you know, like old Norse literature was written. So the stories, you know, for instance, there's um, um, 
there are characters who kind of don't age until the end and you know people who don't know about stuff why why is that and it's it's very kind of reminiscent to you know that you know if you're a um i don't know like a queen you you're beautiful and and all this type of stuff and he tells uh he's he's put together car- uh, like historical figures that are um that were years and years apart don't get me wrong it's not supposed to be a historical you know kind of drama it's supposed to be um based on history loosely based on history but you can tell that he's done a lot of research because there's a lot of things in there um uh that that are factual um there's a scene on a beach where in in this situation there's Ragnar Lothbrok and um Rollo and um uh, Lagatha they all pull up on a beach in in England somewhere and they uh, approached by these uh, riders on, on on horses and their language is similar enough for them to kind of understand but like far enough away for them to kind of make mistakes and it's all on this like knife edge and they end up just you know having a battle on a beach and stuff like this and uh you know that that's a that's a something that actually happened um and was written down and and we know that that's a historical event and um they change a few things but i just yeah i just really like it you've got to ignore I suppose if you're a historical buff, you've got to ignore what they're wearing because mm-hmm. they, uh, they all wear very kind of um, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings kind of stuff rather than maybe what the Norse would have worn at the time. But um, in general, yeah, I think they, it captures a lot of, especially because that, that was my introduction to begin with. And then I went on this big kind of learning thing and then carried on with the series and stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, by the time I got to maybe season three or season four, I'd learned about, you know, the history of, you know, the Norse in Britain, for instance. So by the time you get to season four and they invade York um, and take over it and call it Jorvik and stuff like this, I'm already knowing what's going to happen and seeing how they're doing it in this series. And for the most part, it's, yeah, it's really good. And I, yeah, and I know I have a lot of colleagues who have been like consultants on the show, and I know that they they do a lot of really good work with consulting with historians and um, people who do literature from um, the Middle Ages. So I think, um, and it, it it is a big reason that people are really interested in this now. And I think that um, it sounds great to me. I need to try again. I think I just <laughs> need to not be so fully immersed in this um, in this world and every other aspect of my life in order to thoroughly enjoy it. But um, yeah. I was gonna because I, I didn't realize that you hadn't seen it, but I was I was gonna ask because uh, um, uh, I watched um, an interview with uh, a lady named Nancy Marie Brown in regards to a book that she's put out recently, and she was asked the same question in regards to like uh, like what what she thought of the series of Vikings, and uh, she was very impressed right from the start on how they portrayed Lagatha, um, one of the first scenes. And I don't want to give too much away if you are going to watch it, but one of the first scenes okay. is that um, she's kind of uh, the guys have gone out to do raiding and she's been left behind and she's wanted to go raiding because she was a, a, a well-known shield maiden and stuff like this. Um, but you get the, the typical scene where two dumb men come into where they're kind of, uh, you know, on the loom kind of sewing and stuff like this. And you think, oh God, you are, it's going to be one of these scenes kind of thing where they're going to, you know, maybe go really really far with this and she ends up killing well, beating them both up kind of thing and uh um uh the lady i mentioned before said that this was a really good kind of take on you know like kind of females in the viking age not just assuming just the one role um and she was kind of really impressed with that so yeah i, I didn't know you didn't see i was going to ask you know what your thoughts were on that really no, it's a question I get. I, I've gotten a question many, many times, and I, I'm always feeling like I'm disappointing people when I say no. <laughs> but there are other shows that I have watched that are, you know, like I, I think another one that I think is amazing. I don't know if you've seen it, either one of you, but it's um, it's on Netflix. It's called Ragnarok, um, and it's uh, a Norwegian yeah. show. Yeah, I've seen it the season fantastic. one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it sort of reimagines, you know, kind of reincarnations of um of norse deities in contemporary like norway um so it's set in a different world but i really i i like i really um, enjoy that one a lot too so i do really like the different sort of um reimaginings of norse mythology and viking the viking past in popular culture 
You mentioned Viking past. We've been talking about, of course, Viking legacy and history throughout this conversation. In your opinion, what's the most an overlooked important part of that legacy we're talking about? Oral tradition and literature, I think. I think the liter- the impact on you know the literary tradition that people had who lived in the Scandinavian homeland during the Viking Age is, is something that's really overlooked. I mean, people tend to think about the Viking Age and you think about battles and raiding and trading and um, these, you know, exciting voyages, which obviously all took place. But, you know, oral culture and oral tradition, poetry, um, the writing of the sagas um, that, you know, this vernacular literary tradition in Iceland, especially, that is like unparalleled anywhere else um, at the time where it was mostly Latin. Um, so I think for me, that is that is one of the most underrated uh, parts, um, you know, of the of the Viking Age and um, the medieval period um, thereafter in Scandinavia. Yeah, I, I, yeah, definitely second that. I think um, also just uh, the influences that it's had on culture in general um because i only found out recently um with this new movie movie that's coming out um the northman yes um i i only realized recently that um the um character of hamlet was influenced by a character from the sagas uh, called amleth who's going to be in that movie um so the fact that like you know you got like Hamlet, so you've got Shakespeare being influenced and of course like I mentioned earlier, you know, Lord of the Rings with like kind of runes and names and, and, and all this type of stuff that comes from the sagas I just think those types of influences on popular culture um, it isn't made maybe sometimes a, um, it isn't pointed out maybe as much as it could be potentially mm-hmm. Let me tell you a tale more ancient than kings Quench your thirst from the knowledge and the turmoil it brings The belief in your fate, wanting more on your plate The hunger sustained by the pleasures and pains The blood in your veins got you fiending for pain Never free from the game when they're speaking your name The pictures we paint when we're rolling the dice Sacrifice is the vice for the frame of your mind If you cut out your eye, would you see more clear? Would you focus on the path, would the world disappear? We want wisdom, we want knowledge Staring at the mountains but lost in the forest on the throne where no one's belonging think you've got all the wealth but you still feel the longing does it all feel foreign does it all feel safe when you're staring into space and you're picturing your face you're 15 plus years removed from some of your earliest songs and production credits dw how do you think norse mythology has rewired and changed your approach as an artist Oh yeah, a, a lot, man. Um, uh, from a from a production point of view, because um, because obviously I wanted a uh, I wanted a sound to go along with the words as well. I just didn't want to, you know, kind of put the words on your standard sounding hip hop or music and so on. Um, so I wanted the sounds as well. So uh, yeah, kind of. Um, doing research on like like I mentioned earlier you know groups like uh, Wardruna and Halung and and all these types of different groups that are really kind of influenced by um you know kind of the the Viking age and potentially what kind of music may have existed we, we obviously we, we don't know but may have existed back then based on finds of kind of instruments and stuff like this um so yeah so from a, a sampling and playing music and so on it's it's you know, it's had a massive impact, really, and it's uh, you know, it's, it's changed the way that I produce music in general. It's changed the way that I think about my writing. Um, so yeah, it's had it's, it's had a massive impact, and I think it'll continue even if I stop. You know, at, at the third album in this series that I'm writing, even if I, even if I stop there, I think it's going to have an influence throughout any of the music that I make, really. Amazing. What about yourself, Natalie? How has Journey to Jotunheim, this album we're talking about, how has that affected and changed your perception of hip-hop? I mean, it's 
I don't know if I, how much grounding I or basis I have for saying it, of my perception of hip hop generally, but I just, um, you know, it was funny because when you first asked me to do this, I just assumed um, that it had to do with, with metal because almost always, almost always any music that has to do with Norse mythology in the Viking age is metal. And yeah. so it was, you know, this expand, this was really exciting for me because I, I, I find, I find this a lot more enjoyable personally. I'm not a huge metal fan myself. I don't have anything against it. I just can't really get into it myself. Um, but I, I thought this was really, really exciting. Um, some of the other reasons uh, that I, we talked about earlier about, you know, the, those connections I had made in the past between hip hop and rap battles and flighting and things like Locusena. Um, and this is something I, I'm going to try to figure out a way when I talk um, at the end of this semester in my Vikings class about Viking revival of trying to bring this in as an example of kind of a reimagining in a really productive way of, um, of Norse mythology and the Viking past and one that works you know, very clearly against these harmful narratives and appropriations that we've, that, you know, we've been talking about. D.W. Smith, Natalie Van Dusen, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. We are pleased you have decided to talk to us. Perhaps, sire, you should invite them to eat first. Forgive me. Let us feast together and then talk. Talking war tactics, let the invasion begin But first we feast, got the head of a beast There's the table centerpiece, ripping up chunks of the meat Wolf fur and a crown on my head We talk victories and reminisce about all of our friends of the dead Got a lot on my plate, well so are we all So let's feast like we're kings, ways of drinking a hole There's a reason why I'm fat as fuck and always drunk I'm a beast ravenous till I collapse in a slump We eat, we drink, drink more, we sleep We wake and we do it all again, repeat we eat, we drink, drink more, we sleep Take a seat at the table, eat up, we feast We eat, we drink, drink more, we sleep We wake and we do it all again Repeat, we eat, we drink, drink more, we sleep Take a seat at the table, eat up, we feast I wish I could show my appreciation for this podcast I wish I could respond to it somehow Or be notified in the future when Fly, Fidelity Updates, because it's so great But I don't think there's a way I can do any of those things <laughs> Oh, you're wrong. <laughs> Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud and never miss an episode. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. My people saw you with me where you were.